This podcast is brought to you by the Administrative Committee of the Presbyterian Church in America, promoting the unity, purity, and progress of the church. Learn more about the Administrative Committee and support its work by visiting PCAAC.org. Welcome to Gifts and Graces. All Christians have communion in each other's gifts and graces, says the Westminster Confession. So on this podcast, we help you and your church benefit from the gifts and graces of other parts of Christ's body. Each episode, we bring you a seminar, sermon, or discussion from church leaders across the country and around the world designed to promote the unity, purity, and progress of the church. This is Gifts and Graces. On this episode of Gifts and Graces, we get to hear from Reverend Scotty Smith and Ed Norton as they explore how the presuppositions of the gospel fuel and enable a church culture that's honoring to Jesus. Scotty is the founding pastor of Christ Community Church in Franklin, Tennessee, and teacher in residence at West End Community Church in Nashville. Ed is a consultant and coach at McGowan Global Institute. This episode was originally recorded as a seminar delivered at the 2023 General Assembly. Let's listen as Scotty and Ed share how to develop a gospel culture within your organization. Hopefully some of the ways we want to approach this topic will be fresh and encouraging. Um, I think in my own um, theological journey and story as a leader, uh, I've seen the importance in recent years of, of when we use the word gospel, thinking far more of the gospel as a person, as a someone rather than a something. You know, sometimes our wonderful theological language can get very abstract and even the word gospel can just kind of become a descriptor, the most hyphenated word in the world, and we can lose sight of the fact that we're talking about the person and the work of Jesus. And that necessarily will make us Trinitarian. You cannot be preoccupied with the place of Jesus in creation and redemption and consummation without being absolutely Trinitarian. So let me make that real clear on the outset. But what we want to do is kind of walk through just a general descriptor, kind of um, working definition of gospel culture. And I'm going to highlight a few things in particular. And then uh, Ed, my dear friend from all the way back in the days of being singles pastor at First Pres Jackson, Mississippi, um, and we get to partner together in, as associates in McGowan and associates as well. It's a joy to be with Ed. And he's going to kind of... Uh, bring some heart application home when we walk through this outline. So for the sake of time, I do want to stay pretty close with my notes, and uh, I will um, go off on a few things in particular. But let me, let me start at the very top with this uh, descriptor of how we are thinking of gospel culture. The phrase gospel culture describes the impact the resurrected Jesus has as he lives and reigns in and among those he has come to save. Gospel culture is rooted in the shalom of Eden and anticipates our coming life 
and the new heaven and new earth. So right out of the gate, um, I think it's important for us, both as, as, a, as both as a privilege and as a storyboard, to know that um, when we use the word gospel, when we think of the person and the work of Jesus, we should absolutely think of the first two chapters in the Bible and the last two chapters in the Bible. I mean, culture itself, we, we have, I would say, probably most of us a working definition of when you hear the word culture. Like, for instance, if I put the phrase NASCAR culture, some of you immediately smile and you think of your favorite driver and, and number on a car. If I talk about fly fishing culture and walking through your favorite fly store, some of you already see the arrogance. You, you see the smugness of people that will not spin fish. They're thinking the only kind of fishing in the world is fly fishing. Uh, I mean, we could go across the board and identify with culture as what, what marks a people? What, what is unique? What might be inviting? What might be also you know, offensive about a culture of any group? Well, you know, the words we're using are, are, are clearly saying this is, a, this is an invitation to see something that's not just in the context of, I have a difficult church to pastor, help me with that. But really when I say it's rooted in Eden, the shalom of Eden, what we should remember is that quite literally God created this world and there was a time when everything was in proper relationship. First and foremost, you know, God related to his whole creation perfectly, and his first son and daughter lived before him without fear uh, uh, in his tremendous gaze and welcome. And, and, and everything about their life was in perfect proximity, their calling, relationship with the world, each other, etc. The other end of our story, as we know, gloriously so, directs us towards the fact that we as God's people, we who are building, we who are cultivating, we who are nourishers of gospel culture, uh, do so with profound hope. Because the end of our story, when Jesus, who indeed gave his life to redeem a bride from every single people group that has ever sucked oxygen, he, the Lord Jesus, in his resurrected wonder, indeed is committed to make all things new in the world that he created now sustains by the power of his word and when he returns will bring to fullness and flourishing. See, our, our culture is, 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 is defined by all the aroma, the sights, the smells, the sounds, the rich texture of all kinds of relationship. And we want to live accordingly. So, to build a gospel culture, here's some of our thoughts in terms of just who we are individually and where we are in our particular part of the kingdom of God. To build a gospel culture involves knowing, loving, and serving Jesus with hope between his resurrection and return. So again, we have a context. It's important. You know, thinking through this seminar, it just reminded me how glad I was to have the teachers I did at Westminster Seminary in the mid to late uh, 70s. And Richard Gathen, hands down, just his introduction to uh, uh, Gerhardus Voss's The Pauline Eschatology, the whole two-age construction, this grand reality of life between resurrection and return. You know, it's, a, it's in a fresh way enlarged my heart with, with a real understanding that this is all about Jesus himself. And it, it's why as we think about uh, knowing, loving, and serving Jesus, 
there's always more to Jesus, as we'll talk about as we continue in this outline. So context, larger context, history of redemption from Eden into the new earth, immediate context for us individually and those called to serve the local church, uh, it's between resurrection and return. And so there's, there is clearly defined uh, already and not yet. There, there is so much wonder of what has already happened. And, and, and we now live uh, individually, and, and those who are called to lead and serve the body of Christ, we identify with Paul's words in Romans 8 of groaning inwardly and waiting eagerly for the fullness of all things. So loving, knowing, and serving Jesus. Um, it's to participate as well to build gospel cultures, to participate in the new creation reign of Jesus. Some of you could speak to this a lot better than I, but 2 Corinthians 5, 17, so important to see that a lot of us having grown up with a more privatized gospel and we first heard that great verse, if any man or woman is in Christ, they are a new creature. They are a new creation. It's not that that's wrong. It's just that it's inadequate to capture what the Greek is actually saying. Um, We are in union with Christ, those who are a part of the whole new creation order, or as the writer of Hebrews describes it, we, we're building a culture, we're, we're more stewarding, we are uh, in parallel with uh, the creation mandate, the new creation mandate, the powers of the coming age, as Hebrews 6 says, have come upon us. So we're not pragmatists, we're, we're not those just trying to figure out how to get a job done. So there's just a, a, a larger framework to this culture that's anything but privatized. It is expanding And it really centers on the person and the work of Jesus. Now, uh, this will bring it a little bit more into the practical to where we live as leaders and where we minister. To build a gospel culture requires closing the gap between the tell and the show of the gospel, recognizing and repenting when our aspirational culture is contradicted by our actual culture. The wider the gap, between what we communicate, you know, um, from our platforms, from our pulpits, social media, when, when, when we say one thing, not even just theologically, but are trying to invite people to our communities, when we overpromise and under-deliver, when there's a too grand of a gap between what we aspire and what we're really experiencing, here's what happens. The wider the gap, the more Jesus is robbed of his glory, and the more the world will dismiss what we are telling them about Jesus. Again, those of you somewhere in my ancient uh, aging baby boomer days will remember Francis Schaeffer taught, wrote about this at the church, uh, church for the Watching World, church at the end of the 20th century. He, he really lamented, you know, when, when, we, um, when we live other than what we are called, what we're declared to be and who we are. Or in his little book just simply on, uh, on, on reflections on the new commandment. You know, when we think about how God has given the world the right to a certain extent to draw a conclusion about did God send Jesus into the world, drawing that conclusion by the way we love each other or do not. See, it's really profound to understand that this issue of culture, it's, it's not cliche, it's not something unique, it's not something that's just a, a passing fancy. It's who we are as God's covenant people, God's covenant community written from Eden into, of course, the new earth. So the local church, 
our focus, is the foremost context where the gospel we proclaim is to be the gospel we demonstrate. Each congregation is to be the tell and show of the gospel, offering the light of the new Jerusalem and the first fruits of the day of all things new. A local church cultivates gospel culture or ethos, the culture, as it is transformed by the truth, goodness, and beauty of Jesus. Now, let me camp out there for a minute, because that's, if, if you don't, if you only got bandwidth to hear one thing in this particular seminar, if there's only one thing I would encourage you to take away, is to think through uh, this threefold aspect of who Jesus is as truth, goodness, and beauty. Because, um, first of all, you know, it's, it's, it's wonderful to study the, the history of the world through philosophers, and there are many world philosophies that have used that, that triad to kind of talk about uh, how life can be viewed or possibilities of, of realizing the different spheres of experience and what it really means to know. So truth, goodness, and beauty. The Lord Jesus comes to us in Scripture as the embodiment of all three. And let's, let me make this real personal. It's going to talk about this a little bit more in a few moments when he shares in the life of an individual leader, and, and most of us in this room, we're at General Assembly as those who are called to steward the bride of Jesus, to love the church, to lead the church. And so I want to talk for just a minute about this uh, triad for us personally, truth, goodness, and beauty. Uh, in my own life, having gone through burnout as a lead pastor, I can look back on kind of the journey and how I lost the beauty of Jesus first. He no longer was compelling. There, uh, there was no longer that sense of gospel astonishment and, and childlike wonder that, that first landed upon my heart. I, I lost the sense of, 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 of his beauty. And then in time, when, when, when the gospel, when Jesus, when, when our God is no longer beautiful, the goodness begins to get challenged. See, um, beauty, it's why King David would say something as bodacious as in Psalm 27.4, if I could have anything, oh, that I could live, be in the temple of the Lord to gaze upon his beauty. Um, seasons of life, I've known what it means to know the beauty of our God. And that makes his goodness so much sweeter. Well, the reality is a lot of us, especially in the reformed world, we're comfortable with goodness because we, we, we're glad we are not those who believe in works righteousness, but the righteousness of another. And so, so we, we, we do tend to enjoy the goodness of the Lord in, in the broader sense and the particular in terms of our personal redemption. But you know what? In time, leaders can even lose a real sense of feasting upon the goodness of the Lord. And though we can guard the table of the Lord, which we should, and I'm so glad that a lot of our church families are feasting weekly. That's uh, been a delight for our church family at West End to become those that, that regularly feast because uh, it's an important, it is a sacrament. It, it is, as Calvin uh, uh, extolled us, when met with proper faith, this meal becomes to us. The very reality it signifies. A lot of us in leadership can spend time guarding that table but not feasting at that table. But the last thing we hold on to typically is truth. And you see, if truth is held in abstraction from goodness and beauty, it's when we 
really begin to move into what a lot of what we've experienced in the last three years, which we call cancer, uh, what well, could be called cancer culture, but cancel culture. You see, we're, we're, we're always going to be extending the heart culture that we know individually and that we are zealous to create in our leadership communities. Again, Ed's going to land on this some. But, but the, the, the larger picture, what I so want for us is to sit in fresh ways to the whole reading of the Scripture as the Scripture even reads us to know that would it not be awesome if we pastored congregations where all three of these, it, it's not like an upper-tiered spirituality, but we're thinking about, uh, uh, about preaching the gospel to our own heart. How are our congregations experiencing us as leaders where truth, goodness, and beauty are a current reality? Then the good news is in Scripture, we've got plenty of documentation that leaders leak grace, right? I mean, one of my favorite psalms I have sat in and used in various leadership environments in the last uh, seven or eight years is Psalm 73, where here you have Asaph, an incredible writer of the very songs we sing, wrote more of the Bible than most of the minor prophets, worked in the temple. I mean, a, a, a vocational believer, and yet he gives us in that one psalm where his own heart went from wonder into wandering to the very point in his own story he said, it got so bad, my envy was so deep of those out there that I was like a beast before the Lord until I entered sanctuary. It didn't mean going back to the temple. That was too easy. But being with the Lord and then his heart, what? We, we find his journey of renewal where Asaph is brought back to the place of affirming, Lord, who do I have in heaven but you? And being with you, I desire nothing on this earth. My, my flesh and my heart, may, they may fail, but you, the sovereign Lord, are my inheritance. See, this is what we're saying as we talk about culture. Principally in this 50-minute time together, our current understanding of the truth about Jesus our enjoyment of, of, of knowing him and certainly knowing the benefits of union with him, but really seeing him in compelling wonder. It's why, kind of just to bring a little application uh, before Ed comes up, uh, a lot of you know Kevin Twitton. Has the hymn sing already taken place yet? All right. Ah, uh, you're going to do that. All right. So we had the privilege at Christ Community of having a young Kevin Twitt right out of Berkeley College come down with some other friends to the Nashua area. And uh, we knew Kevin before he ever kissed a girl. And the only one he has kissed is Wendy. He'll tell you that if you haven't heard that, so I'm not into gossip here. But Kevin came alive to the gospel, and as a musician, of course, uh, started helping our hymnody and our church family explode. And it was Kevin who first opened my eyes to the, the work of the gospel in the lives of the Wesleys, John and Charles Wesley. And a lot of you know their stories very well. I mean, uh, how would you like to have been the um, principal director of their time at Oxford when they led the club called what? What was the name of the club? The Holy Club, right? 4 a.m. in the morning, opening up Matthew uh, Arnold's commentaries. Uh, Matthew Arnold. Ma- Matthew. Henry, thank you. Matthew Arnold, if you're in the room, I'm sorry. Matt. Greek Testaments, you know, being on their faces, going to Georgia, completely failing as missionaries, getting on a boat, watching Moravians have peace before the Lord. 
en route back with a real sense of shame and failure. Their story is really about, I think, leaders and, and, and the culture of the goodness and the truth and the beauty of Jesus and how there's always more of Jesus. Our congregations need to know that as it's becoming increasingly real to us. Well, this hymn, I'm going to read two verses and then kind of give you these three categories to further think about uh, truth, goodness, and beauty as a part of culture, vital part of culture in our hearts and our communities. So you know this hymn by Charles Wesley, Love Divine, All Love's Excelling. First and fourth verses. Love divine, all love's excelling, joy of heaven to earth come down. Fix in us thy humble dwelling, all thy faithful mercies crown. Jesus, thou art all compassion, pure, unbounded love thou art. Visit us with thy salvation, entering every trembling heart. He wrote that after his conversion experience. He wrote that wanting his heart to become even more alive and the congregation that he and his brothers and others served in for this to be the lyric and the music of the gospel that would propel them. Leading to verse 4, finish then a new creation. I love this. True and spotless let us be. Let us see thy great salvation perfectly restored in thee, changed from glory into glory till in heaven we take our place, till we cast our crowns before thee, lost in wonder, love, and praise. Those three words is where I'm going to finish my time of reflection. And I'm going to go through these quickly and just briefly talk about what can happen when the leadership culture would say, let's start with us as a session. Us as those who are called to pray for, to fight for uh, our, our local church families. Those three words at that verse four of, of love divine, uh, till, till we cast our crowns before the lost and wonder love and praise. So here are three primary elements of gospel culture, slightly redundant here, but hopefully this will really um, propel within you, not just a love for that hymn, but a real sense of, of invitation. Ed, Ed and I were talking about earlier, if, 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 anything, if, if anything could happen in this brief seminar, it would be intrigue, curiosity, and hope and invitation, no matter who you are in your season of your walk with the Lord. We far rather paint a picture that the scriptures do of being closing the gap in your own heart rather than just uh, thinking in, uh, in other matters. Let me just go through this real quickly. Uh, wonder. What does this mean? Well, the truth, goodness, and beauty of Jesus permeating the lives of believers in the shared life of a congregation. If you haven't recently... Go through Jeremiah chapter 2 to see how it is the Lord's lament that woos us. Not Jeremiah's lament. It's the Lord's lament that woos us into fresh wonder. Do you remember how Jeremiah 2 unfolds? God himself, speaking through Jeremiah, says to his people, I remember how as a young bride you followed me in the wilderness. Just the image of God saying, this is the relationship I've shared with you, and I existentially remember and enjoy that kind of reality. You are my bride. That's not just a metaphor. But then Jeremiah 2 goes on, and you see this picture of the loss of wonder. The Lord says to his people, what fault did your fathers find in me that they would stray so far from me? 
later in the same chapter to Jeremiah. This is what I charge my people with, says the Lord. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and shewn out for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that hold no water. The last thing in terms of the Lord's lament, the loss of wonder in the hearts of his people. The Lord says, consider then how evil of a thing it is when you no longer have awe of me. Brothers and sisters, awe is wonder. We are made for wonder. And that is not some emotional thing that your worship team can jack you up with. It is living in response to the triune God who has not only created Eden that, as Jerem Barr says, we are filled with its echoes, but has made us citizens of the coming world of the new heaven and new earth. That didn't make us special. It makes us his. And when the Lord laments, let's take it seriously. So we wonder. Okay, here's how we cultivate wonder in our congregations and in our own hearts. The gospel informs our minds and inflames our hearts. Gospel literacy, theology, and gospel vibrancy, doxology, go together. We must not separate the lyric and the music of the gospel. I've already mentioned the scriptures. Love, second thing. Gospel culture, first and foremost, is Godward. It, it is God with his people. Um, we're going through the Psalms of Ascent this summer, and next uh, Sunday I've been assigned Psalm 122, and you know how that particular psalm goes. I was so glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. The point issue, we go collectively. We, I don't just go, we go collectively. So number two, third vital element of gospel culture, love. Galatians 5, 6, and there's no verse that Jack Miller quoted more to me than this one. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. This is where our vertical relationship with God intersects with our horizontal relationships. It's the relational ethos and ecosystem the gospel creates. Our aroma, spirit, the first thing outsiders recognize about believers in a church. Jesus calls us to love as he loves us. This is both radically glorious and radically sobering. When the gospel is in play, the double cheer-ups become more of a reality and less a cliche. When we believers live with an equal sense of our brokenness and our in Christness, the gospel becomes beautiful and believable. Now, just think about that in a minute. What would it look like? Let me plant this seed, and maybe you're enjoying it right now. When, when uh, pastors, when, when a session says, we we are intentional about really wanting to be a microcosm of what we'd love to see the whole church become. Beginning with, do we understand how Jesus loves us? And how is that being worked out in the reality of the business we're called to do? And uh, I, I can tell you in a fresh way, I'm watching this happen right now. So it's not like, let me take you back to the days of Christ communion in downtown Franklin, back when the dinosaurs first, you know, were still roaming the earth. But right now, our new lead pastor, um, John Bourgeois, that came out of seven years of pastoring um, REF students at Wake Forest University, he is so wired to say, I want my staff and my session, I want them to see and believe and enjoy Jesus. Uh, John has us now as a staff, two mornings a week, Tuesdays and Thursday mornings, whole staff, uh, facility folk as well doing 30 minutes of Lecto Divino or a meditation praying together. He took us on a staff uh, about a month ago for a, a morning of silent retreat. 
At one level, I remember the day when I thought, we got too much to do than to do that. Friends, we do that and everything else will take care of itself. John now is building an environment where, where elders, you know, are going to begin to think of the session as the easiest place to repent. Go figure. I really want to go to a session meeting because it's, it's, it's a group of, of, of ordained men who are knowing the stewardship of the gospel, and we pray, uh, pray more, preen less. We have less parking lot conversations, getting our votes. We come and we spend time before the Lord. You know what? That's intentionality and gospel. Some, you, we're either actively building a culture or some culture is taking us over. And so the good news is our culture starts with wonder and a rest- restoration to wonder. It is love, and it's profound, the impact. Some of the primary markers of a healthy gospel culture ethos relation will look like this. And these are, it's not just these words, but certainly these words. Welcome, acceptance, care, humility, curiosity, kindness, forgiveness, joy, and hope. Lastly, Again, going from Wesley's hymn, and this is what's beautiful about a gospel culture. It is the opposite of ingrown. So when I think of, of uh, Wesley's phrase, uh, wonder, love, and praise, praise means this, number three and lastly. Not praise, is, not praise as in, I love your church's worship band, but as in Psalm 117, 1 and 2. Praise the Lord, all you nations. Extol him, all you peoples. For great is his love toward us. And the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Brothers and sisters, God's praise is being and will be completely among the nations of the world. Our God has covenanted to fill the earth with the knowledge of his glory one day. That cannot be our next tattoo. It is the story. It's the compelling reality of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel of the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not triumphalistic when we talk about God's glory being declared among the nations and his praise among the nations. It does mean, um, Bonnie, Ed, you get ready to come up here, tag team time. Um, The lyric, music, and dance of the gospel go together. Dance being both Luke 15, us getting on the floor of God's celebration of our union with Christ, but also Romans 16.20, which is uh, that phenomenal benediction that Paul ends the book of Romans with. And uh, And the God of all peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. See, that picture is this. It's not... It's, it's, it's hope. It means there is no place we as a church of Jesus will not plant a church or walk and live and move and have our being where one day the finished work of Jesus will not be fully realized. Please amen that. I mean, the triumph of the Lamb. And it's not we read the end of the book and we win. No, the Lamb of God has triumphed even over us, even over we pastors. And over we sessions, and Jesus is becoming more true, good, and beautiful to us. We're getting more gentle and humbled. We are the lead repenters. Uh, Oh, it's so amazing when this takes place, dear friends. A gospel ethos is neither ingrown nor stationary. It's beautifully centrifugal. The gospel will deepen and broaden our welcome as a local church, and it will compel us to live and love outwardly with hope, locally and globally. Gospel culture is the best garden and fertilizer for offering a redemptive presence in one's community and city. Church planting, local church renewal, global partnering become like 
Become central, not marginal. All right. As my brother gets ready to come up, you know, again, I, I, I would pray that we sing it and we preach it. Who's going to stream into the new Jerusalem? The nations of the world bringing their splendor. And, 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 and somewhere along the line, we heard that and we forgot it. Dear brothers and sisters, don't feel shame if you have gospel amnesia. Don't feel shame if, 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 if you've lost the wonder. Because the entire Bible is calling us to life as a perpetual come to Jesus meeting. He hasn't gone anywhere. And I'm so thankful for the PCA. I'm so thankful for my family. I'm so thankful for it was in this very environment as a pastor that I came to see my brokenness, my shame, my sin, my insecurity. And it's many of you in this room that loved me in the time when I would have traded in the church for a Diet Coke. I got, well, that's enough. Come up here. I just wish he was more enthusiastic. <laughs> you know, what Scotty is saying is, is ever so true. It really does start with us as teaching elders and ruling elders and leaders in the church. Because every organization, every church indeed has a culture. I want you to take a moment and I want you to think about your congregation I want you to think about your culture. Is it a culture where there is humility and inclusion, peace, life, beauty, a picture of the gospel? Or maybe your church is haughty and inclusive, contentious, exhausted, past-oriented, and actually in denial. There's a lot of sadness in that. I heard several people just moan, just just then, because every organization has a gospel, I mean, it has a culture. And what Scotty said just a moment ago is ever so true. The church that cultivates a gospel culture is transformed by the truth, goodness, and the beauty of the Lord Jesus. But now, brothers and sisters, I, I want to really hone in on this. Because for us, if gospel culture is going to begin to permeate our congregations, it must start with us. We must contemplate the beauty of Jesus, the glory of his truth, and the magnificence of his goodness. And the implications of that for the way that we live in this moment and how we love our congregation and we long to move into their lives with the same truth, goodness, and beauty. When I was a kid, I, I drove a, a, a Triumph Spitfire and an MG Midget, both were British green. And in my midget, I had a, a, a plastic Jesus that set up on the dash. I was not a believer yet, but I was thinking about things. The effectual call of God was upon my life, and he was beginning to draw me in to the things of the faith. And one of my friends jumped in my midget one night, and he said, I like your plastic Jesus. He goes, do you believe in that? And I said, you know, 
Not yet, but I'm working on it. Dear friends, there's a lot of people in our culture today, they think Jesus is plastic and he cannot be trusted. And until we begin to develop within our organizations organizational health that leads to a fundamental gospel culture of truth, beauty, and goodness. It is then and there, incarnationally, that people look around and they begin to understand, you know, this Jesus is not plastic. I think maybe he can be trusted. And all of a sudden, we begin to see Jesus moving into the lives of others and actually igniting their hearts and their minds with the truth of the gospel. Haven't we seen that in Acts chapter 2? 42 through 47. I won't take time to read the passage because we don't have time, but you know that passage. What were the five fundamentals of the New Testament church? Devotion to apostolic teaching. Joyful worship. Intimate fellowship. Relentless evangelism. Sacrificial service. There was an ecosystem, a gospel ecosystem that actually governed that church, and that church was holistic philosophically. And you remember the very last verse of that section? And there were um, many that were added to their numbers daily, those that were being saved. And I remember um, Dr. Keller talking about this several years ago as I was listening to his sermon on this. And he said it was that there came a point where the church began to push out because of this gospel culture it began to push out to the, the fringes of the Mediterranean basin. And that over the course of 300 years, the church would push into Rome and push into the throne of Rome itself. Because there was a culture of the mind of Christ. There was a culture of gospel love. There was a culture that, there, that this is a lost and dying world, and the only answer that we have to a lost and dying world is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they took that gospel um, throughout the Mediterranean basin. It seems to me, and I don't, I don't mean this judgmentally, um, as one who's been in the church for a while, <laughs> it seems to me that we, have a that we have beautiful theology and beautiful doctrine and that we can oftentimes be graceless and impatient with one another. And I really want to challenge all of us today. I, I, I love the Reformed faith. I, I remember um, the moment when I begin to understand sovereign grace for the first time, I begin to understand for the first time the free offer of the gospel through grace. And, and my heart went aflame. And, and many of you are shaking your heads right now because you're thinking, that was me. I remember those days in high school and college or later on in the adult years. We have to come to a point where we believe what Francis Schaeffer said was true. 
that if we have orthodox theology, that orthodox theology will lead to orthodox community. An orthodox theology will lead to an orthodox culture. And that what will happen in our lives is that Philippians 2 might actually ignite. Remember that passage in Philippians 2? If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection, any sympathy. I love the way that Paul uses this word, if. He's actually challenging them. And it's not an if of doubt. It's an if of, hey, I really want to make, I really want you to think about this. If there is any encouragement in Christ, what does he mean by that? Our union with Jesus. The very fact that we have been given the righteousness of Christ, the moral integrity of Christ. If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from his love, any participation in the spirit, any affection, any sympathy, Notice what he says. Verse 2. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, and being in full accord uh, and of one mind. Brothers and sisters, this is the practical implication of the gospel for us and the practical implications of our union with the Lord Jesus. Jesus is in us. We are in Him. It's no longer I who live, but He lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave Himself for me. Will we come to a point where we fundamentally will wrestle with the glory and the beauty of the Reformed faith and how the glory and beauty of this faith fundamentally ought to inform an ecosystem for our congregation that actually speaks to a culture of love, kindness, grace, truth, goodness, and beauty. Why is this so important? Because, because if... If we only have the theology without the application, many in our congregation will not believe the theology. Now, you know that's true. I've heard Paul Hahn say in times past, two-thirds of the PCA is flatlined or dying at this moment. Why is that? We have the theology. Hopefully we have the Holy Spirit. We have the scriptures. Why do we struggle so much? Because we're not working out our theology in a way that leads to an ecosystem of community where men and women and boys and girls can grow up in an environment of love, kindness, grace, truth, and beauty. Don't your children need that in your family? Why would we not think that our congregants need that in our churches? And going back to what Scotty said just a moment ago, my challenge to you is it begins with us. It begins with the pastors modeling this. 
Can you model it perfectly? The answer is no. But can you model it powerfully through the work of the Holy Spirit? The answer is yes. Would, would we as pastors begin to model this for our session? Truth, beauty, and glory. Goodness. Let me, let me give you another thought. Many of us go to um, session meetings every month. Um, oftentimes those session meetings are, are three hours in length. Somebody's going, I wish. <laughs> <laughs> what, what if you had two session meetings every month and one session meeting was just about developing gospel culture and, and practicing with one another the one another's of Scripture? Loving one another, confessing our sins to one another, etc., etc. What if you begin to build within your session a, a, a culture, an ecosystem, where men on the session were actually confessing their sins to one another, actually encouraging one another, actually working in such a way so that we were encouraging each other to good works and good deeds? Do you think that would permeate out to the congregation? Absolutely. I think over time it would. The session does what the senior pastor does, and the congregation does what the session does. We've seen that over and over in my 40-plus years of ministry. And you might, think, and you might think, well, Ed, you're putting a lot of pressure on the senior pastor. No, I'm actually asking all of us to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. I'm asking all of us to find, that, to find our encouragement in Christ, our comfort in His love, our participation in His Spirit, our affection, our sympathy. Because we want our joy to be made complete because we want to be of the same mind and we want to have the same love. We want to be of full accord and of one mind because of our union with Jesus. I want you to think aspirationally. Could we, in these moments, as pastors of the church... Of course, there's times in a session meeting where you have to have business. Of course there is. But could we begin to carve out time where we begin to build this gospel culture of truth, goodness, and beauty, all founded and grounded in the person of the Lord Jesus? And why is this so important? I'm going to repeat one thing and make one more comment, and I'll stop. It's so important because if it's... If, if we're only intellectual and we really don't focus on community, on discipleship, if we're only intellectual, then many in our congregation will fail to see the relevance of our theology. But if, as we build this gospel culture and we're incredibly loyal to the Reformed faith that we count as very dear and precious, and we finally come to that point where we are working out the implications of, that, of our faith into every single aspect of life, we're endeavoring to create that ecosystem that will bring glory to God and edification to God's people. We have finally come to a point where we really do believe in discipleship. 
the people of God will begin to realize this Jesus is not plastic. And this Jesus is somebody I can trust. And dear friends, we all went into ministry to do that. Right? You can hear more talks like this by subscribing to the Gifts and Graces podcast. You can also hear more content like this by attending a seminar at General Assembly. They are free and open to the public. Find out times and locations by visiting pcaga.org. Thanks for listening to Gifts and Graces.